Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I wasn't taking any points off, any games off. Like, I was going to be there every single point. What's up, Caitlin? Well, we're in Miami celebrating the Miami Open, such as it is. Great matches, sort of a bizarre scene. Um, that said, happy to see tennis in person, live, played by professionals for the first time in a long time. So, you know, not that much to complain about. How about yeah, you? I mean, obviously, I had that um, happen in Australia, so I've actually been around matches and and tournaments with crowds and so I had that experience obviously down in Melbourne and so and it was it was great obviously because we barely have any COVID down there but I mean to be be honest to be able to put the tournament on in Miami the way they have look you know every all year it's going to be like this so um, kudos to the to the team uh, to James Blake and to everybody for putting this on I know the tickets were astronomical but uh, unfortunately this is the way tennis is right now. Yeah. I mean, just one question though, relates to that. And yes, shout out to anybody who made this happen. And the fact that we get to watch amazing tennis, both in person, but also on our TVs is not nothing. Is it weird going from crowd filled stadiums to now back to crowdless stadiums for you? Um, Yeah. I mean a little bit, but I think the players are so used to it after what they went through last year, which was basically to have no people in the crowd. Um, I think most players had that experience at the U S open and probably you know, maybe for once really, really appreciate the public paying money to come and see them. Um, So let's hope that, look, the the, the crowds slowly get back here in the US. Um, And I I mean, throughout Europe, it's going to be really interesting because obviously Europe is going through hell uh, again with COVID. So I I don't know, Caitlin, I think everyone's just happy to make sure that they've got some kind of people in the crowd. Completely right. That um, American uh, crowd energy conversation is actually really related to the guest we have today, who is a young American woman who is absolutely on a tear. She is having really a breakout season. And one of the things that you guys talk about is her many years spent, you know, in a journey woman sort of, I usually hate using that term because it implies that somehow, you know, people playing tennis at a professional level are you know, not to be taken seriously unless they're in the top 20. That is absolutely not my stance, but there is some truth to the idea of a journey person, a journey woman, a journey man, because when you are not at the top of the game, you have to go to, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles to all sorts of far-flung places playing in front of nobody for no money and very few points. And she really talks about how that formed her 
really her career and her perception of tennis and now having this breakout it's is a really earned thing it's fun to watch her yeah I mean I don't want to get into how like what we talked about because you know the whole point of this is to hear from her about her experiences but look the bottom line is that she is the she is such a great role model for any player out there that, that is toiling away you know it's just honest to god like people do not understand what it takes to get to where these players get and look there are the odd couple that come out and light the world on fire like coco golf and get points and win tournaments and boom they're in the top 50 in the world and they're able to play all the big tournaments but but jasper gula is the epitome of working your ass off to get to where you got and also believing in yourself no matter what you go through with injuries and self-doubt and then all of a sudden what it takes as a professional is to believe in yourself and never give up. And she epitomizes that to this day because boy, is she having a great 12 months. And it's really fun to watch. So with that, we will leave you with the young American breakout star, probably of 2021. Uh, we hope to see her keep it going because it's really, really fun to watch. Jess Pagula. All right, so I am here with the one and only Jess Pagula. Jess, thanks for joining me on the podcast, first of all. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, now, a lot of people, obviously, that uh, follow the podcast and follow tennis and all that sort of stuff would know you, um, but I'm sure that there's a lot of people that don't really know you that well. Uh, sort of you've come into um, your own really greatly over the last, I would say, 12 to 18 months. Um, but I always start the pod by asking you, why tennis? How did you get into it? Yeah, um, really, my older sister played Division One, And when I was younger, I always grew up, you know, when she was in high school, playing tennis and being at the court. So I started taking lessons after school. And um, that's really how I just got started. Um, my dad played a little bit, my parents just recreational, and they played, you know, racquetball. So I was always kind of just around, you know, the courts and the rackets and tennis. So it's kind of just how I got started. And I was pretty good for when I first started. And yeah, that's basically how I first got into it. But I would say definitely my older sister. She was a Division One player, so that started it for me. So, I mean, one of the questions I kind of wanted to ask is why didn't you um, pursue going to college then? If that was sort of like what your sister, that was her path. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, well, yeah, my sister actually started super late. She started at like 12 or something, uh, which is really late for a tennis player. And she was actually pretty good. I mean, she played one at her school and stuff like that. Um, for me, I, I thought about it a lot and then I did pretty well with Taylor Townsend at the U S open and doubles. And I was, you know, still ranked, I don't know what I was ranked at the time, but I was winning matches on the pro circuit. So, um, yeah, my parents were just like, this is what you want to do. See how it goes type of thing. Um, I did think about maybe going somewhere for a year and then trying to play, um, just to have, you know, the backup of, I can go back, but it just kind of went to all in and um, yeah, been like that ever since. So just different, I guess. Yeah. It's always such an interesting um, thing, especially for American players is ha having that moment of, it must be really hard. I think for, for, for kids around the age of 16 to 17 to make a, I mean, cause that's a real lifelong decision. I mean, um, I mean, look, obviously you come from, um, you know, a family where a lot of, a lot of kids do go to college because they see that's their only way to like continue to play. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do think it's a big decision because it's, it can be a pivotal time in your life. So I'm sure it was not an easy decision for you though. No. Yeah. I mean, obviously 
of people that know me, whatever my background, I didn't, did I technically need to go to college to get a scholarship to keep my career going? No, technically not. So maybe it was a little different for me to make that decision, but it definitely is a pivotal moment, I think, in, in your career, especially when I, I mean, still you see some college players coming through, but a lot of them don't. And um, so it is definitely something that you're thinking about. You're thinking, okay, well, if I make this commitment to go play in college, am I going to be able to come out and play pro? And like, how is that going to work? Because you see some people do it. Some people aren't that successful. And then you see the other way where people do want to go to college and they get better in college. um, And maybe they do burn out early trying to play pros right away. So yeah, it's definitely, I think it's more of a, pivotal decision that maybe people realize um, just because it is you're basically deciding which way your your career is going to go and it's, it's a big difference playing full-time on the pro circuit and going to college so uh, I guess it depends on on again about what you want and what you're ready to commit to uh, really so you know going back to those you know early periods of your life because you know your career I mean, this is an incredible renaissance. I mean, really what, what you're doing now at, at, at an older, uh, I guess, age of having this incredible uh, run in your career. But take me back to the real grind of tour life. And this is what I want people to understand because I want you to take me through the path of the early part of your career up until this yeah. Oh, no, it was, I mean, it's a, it's a grind. There's really no other way to describe it. I mean, even juniors, even juniors, when you first start playing, I was going to, Paraguay and Panama and I'm playing like these you know they call them grade fours fives the lowest level of of junior tournaments international junior tournaments to start getting a ranking and it's that's really where it starts and I think you see that and you know it's their ITF tournaments nobody really cares about these ITF tournaments so I mean you're playing in some really I mean really dangerous places places where um you know you're if you're losing, it's just really tough, especially week after week. I remember just grinding out on, you know, a red clay court in in Paraguay. And it's like, there's no air conditioning anywhere. You're like sitting in the bathroom. I remember because it was the only place there was a fan. So we would all sit in this like bathroom, like this gross bathroom. And, you know, the courts were terrible. You know, you're getting horrible line calls. The umpires are virtually useless. Like they're just there. Like, I don't know. We probably would have been better calling our own lines, to be honest. And just like stuff like that. So it really starts pretty young. And that's when I was like 13 or 14 years old. So, I mean, it's definitely starts young. And then um, obviously going to the pro circuit, it's virtually like the same thing when you first start. I mean, you're starting off, um, you know, playing low level challengers and you're just grinding in places um, that are tough to win. I think that's, I think that's almost like what we've learned in COVID. It's just like when you almost like kind of equal like equalize the playing field, it gets so much harder. So when you're out there on like a playing a 25, you know, in wherever, I mean, in the U S like, I don't know, Alabama or something. And it's pretty, it's much harder to win at that level because there's no fans. Umpires aren't that great. Like there's nothing, everything is just the same for everybody. And I feel like that's kind of what we've experienced almost with COVID where now the top players they're not at this advantage. Everything's just all of a sudden, and now everyone's at this level playing field. So it's just hard to win. I mean, it's just hard to grind week in, week out. Um, and you know, you're not making any money. You're probably losing money really. And um, the points are scarce and everyone's hungry. Everyone wants to win and wants to get out of 
these tournaments, which again, makes it even harder. You don't have the luxury of, you know, not playing that week because you're injured or, oh, I don't feel that great. Or, oh, it's a tough match. And someone kind of like, you know, throws in the towel a little early because they know that they're ranked 50 in the world and they can play a first round next week. So it's just little things like that, that, yeah, I don't think the general public really is aware of. It's just, it's tough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, you know, it's tough. It's just, it's hard to explain if you haven't really been through it. Yeah, but I think that's the most important thing for people to understand. And um, tennis is not about just appearing at a WTA event. It's like all the layers. And I feel like it's like making the cake. You know, you've got to have so many layers to get to where you are. Um, I guess one of the things that I want to know then, considering where you are now, uh, you're at your highest ranking. Congratulations. 30 yeah. world in singles. That's amazing. Like what, what are those pivotal moments when you're at a shithole place in the middle of nowhere, you know, it can be anywhere in the US or anywhere in Europe or anywhere in South America. Is it just like forcing yourself to literally want to stay another day in a place like Yeah, I mean, there were times, I think even, yeah, when I was younger where I lose or you lose a tough match and you're just like, what am I doing here? You're like, you know, you kind of sit and you look around and you're like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? Like, what am I even going towards? What's the end goal in all of this? Because at the time, when things are bad, you don't see that. You just see, I'm sitting here in this like crappy hotel room. I just lost. I made no money. I made like, I got like five points. My ranking's like 600. I'm like, you know, you, you really do. You think of what, like, what are you really doing in that moment? But I think, again, it's just trying to keep perspective. I think in the, the long term is what you're always kind of trying to do. And I think when I was, I don't know. I think maybe to not getting so upset about each loss because I, you know, certain losses can really drag you down. And I think at that time, at least for me, I mean, I was losing quite a bit. I mean, I think usually people at some point go through a transition period where they're getting used to a new level and they're, you're losing more than you're used to. So that was definitely tough. And I think just keeping everything in perspective and again, thinking of the long term is really, for me, was really important um, instead of getting so upset or feeling like the world was ending after one loss. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, being stuck in a place that's not that great, where the hotel's bad, where, I don't know, you're fighting with your coach or you don't have a coach and all these things can really just make it seem so much worse than it really is. So to me, it was keeping things in perspective um, in the long term and then just working every day just to get a little bit better and then you know, having that positive mindset, it's so hard, but just forcing yourself, like you said, to do it. And then, you know, when you do start seeing results, you kind of look back and you're like, okay, like that was the right thing to do at the time. It's just in the moment, it's very hard. You know, you obviously went through incredibly tough times with your injuries as well. Um, And so that on top of going through this, playing in these places and trying to get points and trying to get your ranking up and then you get your ranking up and then bang, you get an injury. You know, you had some significant injuries. So again, is that like looking at the big picture or is that like just so hard as well um, to, to constantly have to dig out of a rehab? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first, the first injury wasn't as bad when I had my knee scoped. Um, it ended up not being a huge deal. It was just one of those things where no one really knew what it was. So I was half playing, you know, I was trying to play tournaments, but, you know, I'm sure you've done that where you're kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're kind of hurt so mentally you're really not there. 
but like, you're not that hurt when you can still play. So you're trying, then you're also still getting MRIs and you're trying to figure out what's wrong. That can be obviously again, mentally really tough. Cause maybe you lose to some people you, you beat before because you're not really there. So that, um, that is what happened with my first surgery. So really the surgery wasn't that bad, but the length of time I took doing all of that, which was probably six months prior to surgery was made it seem much more elongated than it really was. So yeah, I mean, that's tough, but after my first injury, I almost feel like I was glad I got a little break because I was grinding so much. Um, so to me, it was almost a blessing because I think I realized how much I really wanted to do this after I was out for, you know, a few months after my surgery, I was like, okay, I want to do this. And I, I think it reignited my passion a little bit more, a lot more. Um, whereas before, maybe I was getting a little burnt out from like what we're talking about, the grinding through tournaments. So I came back pretty hungry. And I think I, I played, you know, we have special rankings now where you can freeze your ranking for injury. So I actually was able to work that pretty smart and obviously do well at the bigger tournaments where I did get my ranking up pretty fast back to where it was. And then I had my hip surgery. And that one was a lot worse than my, than my knee. That was, it just changed mechanically a lot of things in my body and a lot of other things were affected. And that was when I, when I found out I had to get surgery and I probably was going to get surgery. I, yeah, that, that one hit me hard. I was like very upset for about like a week where I was just like, I don't know if I can do this, like go through rehab again. And I already knew what it was like. And I knew this was probably going to be worse. So that was mentally definitely harder for me than the first injury, but I don't, I'm pretty resilient and I'm pretty relaxed. So I think to me, I was upset for like a week and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get back and I'm going to be better than I was before. And I was able to do that. I don't know how really, I think it was just me making up my mind. Um, like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cry about this. I'm not going to get upset about this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to do this rehab, come back better. I think it was just I don't know. I just set my mind to that and, um, yeah, I was able to, to do it, but it's, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it's a lot of mental battles with yourself constantly like day in and day out. For sure. So, you know, once you came back from that, I, I want to know the, the, the moment that, um, that you kind of had a moment in the pros where you said, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I think I can do this. Like, in a way where I am not 140, you know, so yeah. you're perennially around 140, 150, you weren't in main draws at Grand Slams. Like, what was that one moment where you went, you know what? <laughs> Screw this. Like, I'm actually better than this. <laughs> I think definitely, you know what? It sounds weird. This is going to be weird. But after, well, definitely after I won DC, I felt a lot more confident. Because I won it, honestly, not really playing that well. You were there. Yeah. I, mean, I just want you to know, I witnessed the whole thing. <laughs> so I think I'm a bit of a lucky child. Yes. So I, yeah, you kind of are. So I, um, yeah, I was, that was definitely a breakthrough for me because I think I've said this before, maybe in another, said to someone else, but it was weird. I just started working with David Witt and literally we knew each other for like, I knew him from before, but we worked for four days, I think, before we went to DC. DC was a trial tournament. I didn't play that well before in the Europe swing. So I wasn't feeling too hot, but um, yeah, I think I don't know how that came about with David before you get into DC. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend, um, so this guy, Adam Gusky, he works. Did you meet Adam at the, at city open? You saw him there. He was there with me. 
So he um, has worked for my parents since I was like 12 years old. Um, he works in finance and he started working with me. He kind of came in to help my parents like when I was literally like 12 years old, but he also played at Duke University and played college, or played college tennis, played junior tennis with David um, and also like Michael Joyce, which is how I got connected with him as well. So he was basically the guy, but he um, has helped and coached me a little bit throughout like my junior career and um, always helped me with tennis stuff. And then he's married to Ansley Cargill, who played on the tour and played at Duke as well. So yes, <laughs> the lefty with the big point. So she, uh, so I've had this, a little tightness tennis, you know, side of sort of family, um, You're help. Cool. Yeah. 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 That I always kind of go to when I need advice and they're not always around hundred percent, but he connected me with David. Um, and really, I think even with Michael, I think he just Facebooked them. He was like, Hey, <laughs> like, Hey, are you, are you working with anyone? Are you looking to work? And after he was done with Venus, I think it was a few years, maybe in between there was probably I don't know. yeah yeah so that's kind of how that came about it was just pretty nonchalant we're just looking to see who we knew off the top of our heads you know isn't working and would be available and he reached out and David was like yeah and he David lives in Jacksonville so he just drove down um we trialed kind of that week before DC and it went well and we were like you know you want to come to DC and that's kind of how it just started it's not wasn't super crazy it was pretty uh i guess I, I saw david at the courts and i was like what are you doing here he's like yeah, i'm working with jessica ball it's like oh cool. <laughs> well, so happy yeah. to back on too you know he and i are obviously the same age so it was nice yeah it's funny so um so yeah so that's how that started and then um he was also in, in dc because i asked him to come with me because i just wanted to have you know get a feel for david as well um and and for myself so i ended up what was that moment in DC? Yeah, so DC, um, he, I think I won my first round and I think it was like a couple of the top seeds lost kind of early. And um, I just remember we were looking at the draw and he just kind of looked at me. And again, he's used to winning with Venus, you know, like it's, you know, so it's a totally different mindset than probably what I was thinking at the time. And I just remember he was like, there's no reason you can't, I mean, you like can't win this tournament. And I kind of was like, no one's really said that to me before. And it's weird, maybe people have said it like, you know, oh, always have a positive mindset, go in the tournament. But the way he said it was just so like matter of fact and very like direct, but at the same time, you know him, he's very relaxed. So it was kind of funny. I was like, huh. I was like, yeah, like why not? <laughs> I, to be honest, that was a very pivotal moment. It was a silly moment that he probably doesn't even remember. But for me, um, yeah, I played really well and I ended up winning the tournament and um, didn't even play my best tennis, but I was winning matches and playing much smarter. And um, I think too, winning a tournament like that, I was like, okay, wow, I don't need to be playing lights out to win a tournament. I can learn how to scrape my way, get better each round, figure it out by round. And then in the finals, I ended up playing really well. So mm -hmm. it was just one of those moments where I don't think I've done that before. And I've definitely never done it that deep in a tournament. So that was definitely a very pivotal moment where I was like, wow, I, I can do this. Well, I mean, I, I think that's so important for people to hear because mm -hmm. I really believe so much in the power of positive thinking when it comes to being realistic. Mm -hmm. And I, hearing you tell that story is so important for people out there to understand the importance of um, sort of 
putting a vision out there. And, and, and if you really believe it, like Dave would have really believed that just from seeing you hit the ball and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's incredible for people to know. It's so important to put that mindset in your brain because if you don't, you're probably not going to achieve it. So I think, so, so pushing forward from winning DC uh-huh. and what's been the big transition from then, which was, yeah, I'm pretty good yeah. to, I mean, these results over the last three months, I mean, you're 15, I believe I wrote it down because I never do this, but I did prep a little bit before <laughs> you're, you're uh, 15 and four this year. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what's been the difference um, from the start of this year um, in particular, you had pretty good results last year as well, but this is, this year's been, I mean, you've had, you smoke, you're smoking people. You're not like, <laughs> like winning seven, five and a third against these great players. You're like, smoking people and obviously you I had to watch you smoke one of my players at the Australian Open and Sam walked up she goes I didn't feel like I played that bad you know (laughs) like I want you to transition me into what is going on now yeah like describe your your okay well I'll go back to so last year after COVID I played world team tennis and I got to see a glimpse of like I'm more of a team player in general like I kind of always I grew up playing you know soccer and softball and I always love doubles like always seemed like I came into my own playing team sports so world team tennis the first time I played and I like loved it and I played really well the entire time and I think I lost one match and it was to para and I think it was in a tie break so I don't even know if that counts but and I was playing and it's obviously it's different scoring but I was playing singles doubles and mixed because Danielle ended up leaving so um that was like again that kind of started it and it's weird to think that it was world team tennis but I think I just got like my mojo kind of back from playing in that team environment and also beating pretty good players consistently um that really like sparked my confidence I'm not really sure why again I think it's because I really thrive off like a team atmosphere and um that like really sparked it for whatever reason. So I was able to take that into US Open Cincinnati, get some good wins there, you know, do better in a slam, which was one of my goals. And then coming into this year, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. We had the, I wasn't in the hard quarantine in Australia. So I got two, two weeks of really good practice. And, um, you know, and then I see I play Azarenka first round and I was kind of like, okay, I played Spitalina first round in Abu Dhabi earlier that year or in January and I lost. And I was like, it was close. And, um, so yeah, I'm kind of just like, Dave and I are looking, I'm like, okay, I play Azarenka. And he's just kind of like, all right, well, you got to make your own draw these days. Like, come on, like, let's go. And I was just kind of, I don't really know what happened, but obviously that win definitely carried a lot of confidence going into up to today. So, I mean, I think obviously I, I came back the first set, was able to scrape out the first set. She had some issues going on in the second whatever it was a lot going on but I was still able to win the match which was a lot for me mentally just also because it's tough playing someone that is struggling with the heat or asthma whatever it was and to put that away and put away a top player who loves playing in Australia that just kind of like I don't know the confidence just came from that as well on top of last year and it just I don't know it's just it's been building like every time and I think I've just decided like okay I can be a top player like there's no reason I can't be like the only thing that would really be holding me back like you said is my way of thinking like I'm doing all the work the practices are good I'm putting the work in the gym I'm pretty healthy 
there's no reason that I can't do this. So I think against Azarenka, maybe I got a little lucky. Some, I think you need a little luck too. I don't know, but I was able to win, win that match. And then I think I just was able to just build every single match and not look back. I wasn't being negative at all. It was point by point. I was like every point I'm just there. Like every single time I just, I think I decided too that I wasn't taking any points off any games off. Like I was going to be there every single point and just feel like they couldn't breathe basically. Um, yeah. I, I can tell you my coaching against you. I, I, I honestly, in that match, I, I, there's very few times where I think there are ways to get to somebody's weak weakness. Yeah. And I, I, there was a couple of things that I, I wish that Sam had done, yeah. but given the circumstances, it was like, there was no, and I think that's so well said because there was no breathing room. For me. Yeah. Like, and because your style is so hard and flat and becomes like a slingshot kind of off your racket. You play a very unique style um, to what we kind of see these days, yeah. not tall, but yeah. all is so heavy. Um, yeah. So I think that's tremendous. And I know you and Dave have worked a lot on your serve and various different things. Yeah. In your and, you know, I just want to know, I just want you to know, like, and want people to know that listen to this podcast is that one of the most meaningful and memorable moments that I had of being around you was during COVID when we came back and we played a tournament uh, exhibition in Charleston. Mm-hmm. You were the alternate <laughs> even invited to that tournament, okay? And there was every American and a couple of, like, randoms, like, you know, Canadians in there. And uh, you were the alternate. And I remember, and it was so blazing hot that week mm-hmm. in Charleston. And yeah. I remember after it, I was working with Jeannie Bouchard, and we went and practiced with you uh, a couple of times at once mm-hmm. yeah. on hardcore. And I remember you and Dave out there just grinding away on hardcore not knowing where the hell we were playing next. Yeah. We went to Lexington. We all drove up there together. You <laughs> drove past me on the highway and I'd had an accident. You didn't care. Uh, but, you know, it's like these little things that I remember so distinctly about you and now where you are in your career. Yeah. And I think nobody, nobody sees that. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and I, I kept thinking to myself, like, here you are grinding it out here, not even knowing where you're playing next. Yeah. You're doing four hours a day on the tennis court mm-hmm. in a hundred degree heat. And I thought, you know what? If this kid does well, I, I hope people will know that this doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. So, you know, as a viewer of sort of what you've gone through over the last 12 months, it's yeah. been really great to see. No, oh, thank you. Because that, that are those are the moments that, I mean, it's not just me, that other people do too, but those are the moments I think that, that matter that, when people aren't, you know, aren't noticing you, you know, people ask me now and I'm like, you go back to that. I forgot about that. Yeah. I wasn't even picked to play in the Charleston tournament. I was pissed. I was like, are you serious? I was like, okay, fine. I was like, I'll get two great weeks of practice or one great week of practice in and go play Lexington or that event there and see how it goes. Like, it's just, I, I think I've, yeah, I've done a good job of, I think, um, being adaptable to any situation and then just kind of keeping my head down. And like you said, focusing on the positive and, and putting in the work in where I can, because Mm. everyone's working hard, everyone's good. So it's just kind of, yeah. in those tough moments kind of doing more and pushing yourself, um, it comes back around, you know, Mm. I'm sure it came back around at some point, like you said, the last few months. So, um, Mm. you never know when it's going to happen. And I think that's, 
really important um, for anybody, you know. It, you know, thinking back to that, um, those couple of weeks, you know, it was like you and, and Jenny Brady, um, you know, yeah. the, like I, you guys have such a unique, like the, the, the players that are coming through, Americans that are coming through now, that sort of were those players that were in the peripheral. They weren't yeah. blown oh, Stevens yeah. and Madison Keys. Like those guys were having pretty great, tremendous yeah. success on some finals, winning slams. Yeah. They're all about the same age. Yeah. I don't know, because uh, obviously Jenny went to college. So how yeah. do you distinguish yourself with those Americans now? And, and and what about your friendships, particularly with that, let's call you guys the second tier of players that are mm-hmm. now all of a sudden yeah. guys yeah. are the premier Americans yeah. playing. And how does that feel for you? Yeah, no, I think it's really cool. And I think too, what's helped in a way, like I said, I thrive off of a team environment sometimes. And I think almost, I've tried to think of that way with Jenny, with uh, Shelby, with other girls that are coming up and, you know, we're all kind of older and we've had some injuries and we're not old, but we're not, we're not 18 coming on the scene. You know, we're definitely been through a lot of stuff. Yeah. As far as I am, Madison and Sloan have kind of been, you know, the face and Serena, obviously, but Madison Sloan behind Serena been kind of the face for a while now. So I think, again, COVID just kind of, I think kind of just knocked everyone down and kind of said, all right, everyone's here now. Let's see how everyone does. And it's just been cool to see um, us take that adversity really, really well. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's exciting to be Although some people still say, oh, the young American. Right? Young, I don't think I need to be referred to as young American coming up now. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just interesting. It's just, it's funny how tennis, I think, changes so much. There's always the the young kids coming up. And then you saw a couple years ago, people doing well at like 27, 28. And then we kind of had the young people again with Coco and young girls like that breaking through. And now we're kind of just seeing the depth. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've always said that success breeds success. And I think that um, you guys, you guys, uh, sorry, did I lose you? Are you still there? Just for a second, but I've heard you since you started talking again. Yeah, sorry. We can, we edit all of this out. Yeah, I hear you now. Times where you went, we'll fix that up, but later. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's. I've always said success breeds success, and I think what you guys, particularly um, 
like you said, Shelby and you and Jenny in particular, because I would put you three in a category of like, not quite sure if you think you're good enough. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, actually we are. Because showing, in my opinion, kind of showing each other that you are, the three of you, because you're all kind of similar in a lot of ways. Is that not? <laughs> Hold on, I, I lost you there. Come back to me. Hold on. Can you hear me? Jess? Can yeah. You hear me? Oh, sorry. Let yeah. me. Oh, I'm going to. I'm gonna yeah, just... no, for sure. I mean, that's. I feel like when COVID happened, we came back. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. I, I got you now. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah. You were talking about COVID, how COVID, you think that helped you guys? Okay. Um, no, yeah, I think it was kind of funny because you're so that um, COVID, we came back and we were like, wait a second, we're not. Yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I feel like I'm delayed. I know. I don't can know. You hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> I think you're like delayed. A, I'm getting like a delayed. This is like a, not an ad for Zoom. <laughs> I can hear you. In the Hold on, let me see. I'm going to stop. Um, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, there we go. Oh, there you are. There you are. All right, maybe we're back to normal now. Go ahead. Tell me about COVID. Yeah, I know. I, like what you said, um, it was kind of funny. Like, maybe we're not good enough. And then we came back and we're like, wait a second, we are. It's like, I really feel like that's what happened after COVID. We're not quite done yet. <laughs> came back with a vengeance for some reason and I think honestly all of our records have been pretty unbelievable person she lost to in Australia was Ash so I mean she's been killing it she beat Serena last year she beat Kvitova last year Jenny's Harcourt record has been I mean one of the only people she's lost to is me and my record's been pretty high so it's been crazy like <laughs> hurt me and like Osaka wait a big and Jess just dig it right now I know it's funny. I was in Australia, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, but Jenny's hardcore's been like records, like twenty and two. And I'm like, "Yeah, one of those losses was to me." <laughs> so, but it's just cool to see. Like, that's literally all. All of us are like right there. It's like unbelievable. So it's yeah. It's just it's really cool to see us. Yeah, just showing again that like the depth and um, how much you can improve, and it really matters how you take adversity and get better. And that's really what we've done. I mean, we've definitely changed things up. Shelby's in unbelievable shape now. She's healthy. She's down here in Florida. I just hit with her today. Um, Jenny, you know, decided to, I'm going to go to Germany. I'm going to do my whole new thing and have my whole new team and just see how that's paid off. And um, it's just, it's just cool to see us kind of taking it on head on, on our own as our own responsibility and kind of the, you know, cause you are kind of a CEO of your own team and just take it and, you know, decide, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to, you know, put in the work and then you just get results. And I really feel like that's just all we've kind of done, but I think, I think what it tells me too, and I think it's really important for people to know that surround yourself with the right people and also believe in yourself, like really 
really, you have to have people around you that really believe in your talent, your ability, because everybody is so, everybody is so close. And I think the tipping point for a lot of players is the mental side. If you, everybody works hard, it's just how much do you believe you're in the biggest of moments, like at break point, what do you tell yourself at that moment? How do you not get too far ahead? There's all these things that you have to learn now. And now you're going through that and you're learning so much and you're doing so well out of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It's true. It's just all mental for sure. I, I, it's interesting um, that you said about being the CEO of your own sort of destiny and, and, and things. And obviously, look, you come from a family now that, you know, own the Buffalo Bills and Sabres and your mom is the president of these endeavors as well. How much of an influence is someone like your mom in your life, um, considering you're a young woman, you know, I know that eventually when you stop playing tennis, you want to go into other things. Like how much has that been a, a great role model for you to see? And also your father giving your mom that opportunity to be like, run with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty cool, especially today's day and age. Like you said, like my mom runs, like my mom does everything. <laughs> Like people see my dad and my dad cannot function without my mom. So she's like, yeah, she does all of the dirt. I mean, my dad's great and he's brilliant, but she definitely runs the show and she makes things happen. And I think I've learned from her is that she is like a super, like she loves work. She just loves to work. It doesn't matter what it is. She just loves to stay busy and to do things. And I feel like growing up, even with my tennis, she was so matter of fact with things. Like if I got hurt or something happened, she'd be like, okay, well, you need to go see the doctor and we're going to do this and you need to look up this person and you need to figure out, are you going to do your rehab? And have you looked into eating this or taking this supplement that's going to help? Like, it was like, so immediate. I'd be like, mom, like chill. And she'd be like, no, like, let's do it now. Like, it was so like right away, what are you going to do to kind of fix the situation? But like, she was always, I mean, like she always, even with my whole family, like always put the responsibility on us too. So I think I've learned that, um, with tennis, like being CEO, so to speak, she's always, um, yeah, she'd be like, I'm like, you know, I don't feel well. She'd be like, we'll make an appointment with the doctor. I'm like, but I don't even know what my doctor, she's like, Oh, here's his number. Call him up, do it. Like, it was so yeah. Like do it yourself, figure it out, like just do it. And that's like kind of what she's always said, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And like, that's kind of what she's given to us. Like, okay, it's up to you to like, to make a difference or to change this or to fix this or to get better at this. And I think that's what she does now, obviously, what she's done her whole life really. And, um, that's definitely transitioned. I, 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 you know, when I do a little bit of research, um, just on you and your family and stuff, one of the things that I, I did not know your mom's background. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that is so incredibly fascinating to yeah. to have been born into this world and literally had no idea yeah. where you're going, where you're heading, born in South Korea, yeah. literally left on the street. So, you know, talk, talk to me about the, the incredible um, width and sort of depth and I don't even know how to, to put it, where your mom comes from, from that life, which is born into a life of just like who the fuck knows right yeah exactly. to now being you know obviously look the elephant in the room is your family's very wealthy right yeah. so explain to me the importance of maybe what your mom went through as a as a child has weaved its way into your life 
because I, I'm always fascinated. And honestly, Jess, like, I really want to know, like when you come, when you were born into a family of wealth, mm-hmm. like, you have to grind. And I mean, you, your ranking is where it is from the work that you've done. Nothing yeah. was handed to you. Okay. Yeah. So you're ranked 33 in the world and had the results and had to grind and fucking tournaments in Paraguay yeah. and all this shit to yeah. get the ranking you get. Nothing was given to you, right? Yeah. I want to know how hard it was for you in those moments then of why am I here? Why the hell am I putting myself through this? Why am I driving overnight? All <laughs> stuff that everybody has to deal with. And if you're from a, a poor family, you have no choice. Yeah. But you had a choice. Yeah. I want to know me personally, like, how how do you reconcile and deal with how did you deal with that because I'm fascinated with that yeah well so like again yeah my mom came from virtually nothing like I don't like you said I mean it was like a who the hell knows who she is in the world right and I mean my dad my dad also came from that too just he wasn't adopted he grew up really dirt poor and he always would tell us these stories and stuff like that. So I think both of them came from that and um, obviously worked their way up, built this whole empire kind of thing now. Um, but for me, I mean, for me, the real, like, we, I don't think we bought the Sabres till I was like 17. Mm-hmm. So to me, like playing tennis, like that was my goal since I was like seven or eight, whatever, number one in the world, professional test, but winning Grand Slam, whatever. Like that was always my goal. So that never really changed. And when all that other stuff happened, I was just like, oh, that's, I mean, this is really cool. And I was really excited for my parents because again, it was like my dad's dream to um, own a hockey team. Actually, my sister found an article um, from like a long, long time ago. And um, they were talking about if you ever come in or hit this well and come into all this money, what are you going to do? And one of his things on there was own a, a sports franchise, possibly the Buffalo Sabres. And this was from like 1980 something, I think. So it was pretty cool to see him literally, like you said, visualize, talk that into happening. So there was, so of course I was very happy for them, you know, to see their dreams kind of evolve. And um, yeah, I think at that stage, I think I was almost too, too like worried about making a name for myself and like too like, oh, I need to separate myself and I need to do well and I don't need any help and blah, 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 blah that it was almost kind of hurting me. So I think at that point when we bought this, when we bought the bills and then it was even more, our family was more in the spotlight, of you know, that kind of stuff. I think I just realized that I should maybe embrace that. I have a really cool story and I have like this really cool family that's doing all this stuff. And instead of kind of ignoring it and shying away from it to maybe just embrace it a little bit more and not be so not against it, but kind of, you know, not be so standoffish with, oh, I need to make my own name for myself because it was never going to go away. Like it's never going to go anywhere. So I think I just decided, you know what? I can't get rid of this story. I'm not upset about this story. This is really cool. So maybe I just need to kind of embrace it and um, appreciate it more for what it is than kind of, you know, hold a grudge against it in a way. So, I mean, but to me, like you said, the, the forcing yourself when I had a choice I don't know. That was just always my mindset when I was young. Like it never really changed no matter what happened. And I don't know if that is again from my parents point of view. Um, but also I just think it was my dream and it was what I was passionate about. And I think it's hard to change that type of thinking. Um, you know, in those tough moments, of course, you're like, what am I doing? I do have a choice, but 
like I said, I usually got over it pretty quick <laughs> and decided that that was definitely the easier way out. And I didn't really want to take the easy way. I knew if I could stick to the hard way that I would be much happier that way mm -hmm. uh, just because it's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I just, I find it so fascinating. I, I think a lot of people um, mm -hmm. view it in, in, in one way, but for me, having gone through um, a professional tennis career and knowing how much it takes to get to be really good, I, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, God, if I knew I had this, mm -hmm. how much would I push myself? And I am always so fascinated in that perspective. And I do think that you're born innately to want to be really good at something. And I think your parents proved that by doing yeah. what they did and transitioning from what they were born into mm -hmm. to becoming what they became. And then I think you're making a transition of your own life. Um, yeah. Wonderful things. And I think that comes from them and their, their upbringing. So, yeah. Um, that's great. Uh, listen, I, I, I've had you here for a while. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, There's so much to cover. I know, I know. And, and this is where I get to have the joy of having Caitlin um, edit it all. So she yeah. can put it all together. But um, what's the smartest, a uh, couple of questions that Mary Carrillo threw at me because I told her I was going to interview you and she was like, oh, so what would you ask Jessica? You know, Mary always comes up with these fascinating kind of fun things. But she said, what's the smartest um someone has what's the smartest thing someone's ever told you about tennis and your game oh the smartest thing anyone's ever told me about tennis in my game oh that's really hard <laughs> to think is there a moment where someone has well i think you probably answered that with david telling you that hey why can't you win this tournament? but what about um something in your game that you maybe didn't recognize before that someone has helped you recognize how good it is um I don't, I don't know. I think, I mean, it could go back to when I was even in juniors and I always hit the ball really well, but I really had no idea how to play tennis. So, I mean, it, it could have been something like, oh, I don't even know how to word it. Cause I don't even know. Oh, that's really hard. I think about it. I don't even, I have no idea what someone told the smartest thing someone told me about my, my game. Um, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. Maybe. Well, I think you um, <laughs> did something really interesting is that you said that your opponents didn't have a lot of time to breathe. I think that's really well said. Well, that's what I mean. So I, when I was, yeah, in, in juniors, of course, I, I learned I can take away people's time. And it was like this like monumental thing. I was like, oh, like, that's what it is. Like, that's what this is all about. And my ball specifically, like you said, is kind of slingshots multiple people have told me that. Um, yeah. And I think I've, I've had, I mean, I would say probably Michael Joyce really developed that part of my game really well. Cause I was like, I think 17, 18 when I started working with him. So that was when I started to realize, oh, okay, I need to take away people's time. Um, so something along the lines of that, I don't know if there was like a specific line that someone told me about my game, but it's something along the lines of I think I think you understand your game really well, which is great. Um, you you said something to me about how you um, I think it was your dad asking you about do you watch like video things like that, and you're like, um, yeah, of course I watch video of my opponents. I want to know like how much interaction you have with like your dad or your mom when it comes to the football players. Do you like do you like call up and be like, this guy's a bum? <laughs> well, we have like a little family group chat, and um, it definitely gets 
yeah, we definitely like to, our whole family likes to put in our two cents and they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you're not there. You don't know the full story. And we're like, yeah, whatever. Like this was a stupid play or this was a bad idea. And like, well, we're pretty a candid family where we'll tell each other what we think. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of moments like that with the, with the football. Although when they try to tell me stuff, I'm like, yeah, don't, don't <laughs> the same thing that they do to me. I'm like, no, you don't know anything. Just don't just stay. That doesn't, yeah, just stay out of it. <laughs> What's the goal going ahead? Like, what do you, what has David said? And how do you feel about the next uh, six months? What's your goal? Um, Remember, you got to set it high. I, I know. Well, I mean, to be honest, like, I'll be completely honest. I think last, maybe last, I don't know, Christmas, this past, like December, January, I told myself, I think I was watching tennis or something at some point, And I was like, there's no reason, like, I can't win a grand slam. And I think I said that to myself and I was like, wow, I actually said that. And I actually believe it. And like, then I ended up making the quarters and it was really cool. And I was like, wow, like I actually told myself that like a month ago. And now looking back, I'm like, again, like that believing in yourself thing, you really have to believe it to like your inner core, like your most truest self. I don't know how to explain it, but once you start, obviously winning doesn't become easier, but it just, like you said, that confidence in those moments, all of a sudden you're doing it. Whereas before maybe you were, you know, losing those points. So it's a very fine line, but so that's always to me a goal, um, especially now with tennis. I think it's cool to see all different sorts of um, all girls, old, young, one multiple first Grand Slam winners, whatever winning Grand Slams is pretty cool. And I think it helps us all. We realize that it's attainable. It's not this um, thing that we are never going to get close to. So that's definitely always a goal. And then, um, yeah, I I don't. We haven't really said any. I think probably top twenty is always a goal getting, I want to get seated at the French. So that's going to be a goal. Um, you will be, you're 33 in the world. Okay. That was like, we said that like a couple, we said that like in Doha, I think. Well, you gotta be top 32, but I think there'll be. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Random pull out. So definitely top 20. Although I know with the, with the rankings, it's hard to move up right now. So that's definitely, I think a goal for me is top 20. And then um, even the race to Shenzhen, I'm like, I think I'm top 10. I don't, I don't know something like that. So can I ask you about, um, you know, while we're on the subject, um, you know, you're obviously biracial, you, your mom is Asian, like what, how's the last uh, week been for you with the, you know, what's been going on? Yeah, honestly, I haven't really even been on social media at all the last week or so since I've been home really. So I didn't even realize about uh, what happened in Atlanta until my sister told me. And um, yeah, I mean, we've, we talked about it a little bit. I think it's just, I don't know. It's just sad to see. It's just, I don't know. It's just such a weird place in the world that we're in right now where it just seems like there's so much hate and just so much, I don't know, hate towards everybody. It doesn't even matter who you are. It's just, it's like just hate everywhere. It seems like if you're just not I don't know. It's just you can I you can say it. I mean, if you're not like literally white and perfect, like you are having shit thrown at you in some way. Yeah. And like and I, I don't I mean yeah, I I mean I'm I'm gay, so there's there's some stuff that I have to deal with, but I look like me. I walk out the door and I still look like me. Yeah, you know? and it's it's just sad to see that there's so many hateful people in the world towards 
whatever you look like, what color you are, what, who you be in a relationship with. It's just like, it just seems like everyone is just so against everybody. And it's just, it's a tough thing to see happening in the world. And then, um, but obviously I think there's still a lot of good too, that people don't really shine a light on. So I feel like we're always trying to look at the positives to that situation. And then obviously, yeah, my mom being a woman and being uh, Korean and being the owner of a sports team is kind of crazy. So I think it's cool because we look at that and see, okay, wow, this is really cool. This is attainable. Look at her, um, you know, and try not to get into all of like the negative, because there are a lot of people who do support her and what she does. Um, you know, men, men in power and stuff like that, that still, um, you know, think she's smart and think she deserves it and all this stuff. So I think we try to keep a balance of looking at the good side and the positives of it and um, moving forward that way. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough just to see what happened. It's just horrible. I mean, there's no really way what, you know, no other words to really describe it. It's just makes you sick, you know? Yeah. It's super important, um, as you said, to have people like your mom in positions of power because you have to see it to, to be it. Right. And so I think that's really important for young Asian kids and girls in particular to look yeah. up. Hey, oh, I can I can attain um, something like that and work hard for it. Yeah. Uh, uh, last- There's a lot of women too in, in, in the NFL. They were yeah. kind of spotlight on, and we've had a couple. I think we had a women's coach and a women's trainer, and we've been actually one of the more I think um, diverse organizations right now, especially with females taking roles in the men's sports. And after seeing, I'm sure you saw not off topic, but the NCAA thing. Well, I did. I retweeted it. Yeah. It's disgraceful. I just literally just saw that right before I went on here. I was just like, what? That just bothers me so much. And you know, you read these comments of these people who are like, oh, well, they don't make any money. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. It's the fact that that's even happening. And then I think the fact that the NCAA thought that that was okay to where they didn't even think someone was going to say anything about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how delusional you have to be to not think that one of the players is of course going to post or say something or speak out about it. I mean, so- that, that gym, that gym looked worse than any of anyone's quarantine rooms. Australian <laughs> Open. And it was, great. it was, 100%. so you, what do you want to do going forward after you're done playing? Cause I, I have a feeling that to you or your sister or, now, with your mom's guidance, you're going to make a big difference in the world of sports. What do you want to yeah, do? I you know, you have the restaurant, you have the, you know, yeah. you're ready 24 sunscreen. I don't know. I'm going to definitely stay in uh, sports is definitely my, my passion and what I love. So it's actually kind of funny. Um, we were watching, have you watched last chance you? Yeah. Yeah. Like me and um, my fiance, we're both, he loves sports, grew up playing sports. Um, you know, loves it. She's very competitive and has tried to, he's had trouble almost in a way of letting go of that competitiveness moving into after, you know, his baseball career, or whatever, playing in college. So I think watching that shows like that. Taylor, mm-hmm. he's nice. Taylor, yes. <laughs> his, um, so I think that's just, just a recent example because we're watching it now, but I think definitely helping, definitely helping kids I think achieve through sports is definitely something that I would love to do because I just think it, like you said, it teaches you so much and you have to go through so much and some people don't realize it or they don't realize it till after. But I just think it's, I think it's amazing for what it does. And that's 
it's good for kids who, you know, aren't in the best situation and um, it can help them get out of a bad situation. It can help you um, in so many ways. So I definitely love, love that aspect of it. So that's something, you know, along the lines of that, that I would love to do. Um, and then obviously it depends, you know, my family, if we're how far down the road we're still involved in all this stuff, but yeah, definitely being a woman in sports would be really, really cool. Um, you know, not just tennis, but thinking down the line of, uh, other sports. So, yeah. Well, um, Jess, I just want to say, um, I'm, I'm so you're, you're one of the most, um, humble, easy, um, kinds, like just real regular, great people on tour that has, you know, I've seen the grind. I know what you and David went through to get you back to, to, to just being healthy and playing on tour and then to, to be where you are now today. And this is just a start. I mean, I feel like you've just literally started your career and you understand exactly what you're capable of doing and also what you know exactly what mentally you need to tell yourself on the court. So I just feel like this is the start. You know, I, uh, I pray that you stay healthy and everything keeps going well because for our listeners that don't really know you that well, I hope they get to know you a lot more because you're going to be around for a long time. And I, I don't see I don't see top twenty. I see top ten. Um, <laughs> and so I I think that's really attainable for you at the end of this year. And I know that you'll keep putting the work in. And I just want everybody out there to know how like genuinely nice you are. And um, it's been a great joy for me to watch you as well as you have over the last like six months. So thanks for joining me on here. And uh, yeah. I hope everything keeps following. Okay. That means a lot. Uh coming from you you know obviously very successful too and you've been through it so yeah thanks i'm just gonna try and keep going but this is fun yeah well thanks jess i'll see you on the road yeah and that's it for this episode of the racket magazine podcast thanks for listening our host is renee stubbs our co-host and producer is me caitlin thompson music by internationally renowned dj stretch armstrong Thanks to Tim Ruggieri and the team at ACAST. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.